1992, we present the fabulous What's the Scenario remix. Whereas there are seven MCs, six which are in physical form, one which is in spiritual essence, and he goes by the name of the. All right, all right. It's that time again. Deep Cover Podcast. We are back. Uh, didn't take a long uh, break this time like we did after the draft. We uh, we had an episode just last week and we're back again. So I'm joined as always by Carrie and Chris. I'm Mike. Uh, we're here to chop it up as usual. Uh, I've got a couple of interesting topics to kick around uh, that I think should be some pretty good thought provoking discussion. Um, but before we get into it all, let me touch base with the guys. I'll start with you, Chris. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. Uh, trying to make the best of the, this uh, quarantine situation we got going on. Uh, getting a little antsy. I got to play some basketball, finally. So that'll never happen. But uh, my, dreams were, my dreams were crushed because they closed down that park. Mm. I was going to ask you, and I guess I'll, I'll ask Carrie when I get down. But um, So they're doing... I guess all around the country to some extent they're doing it to some extent here in Maryland, these kind of partial reopenings they're calling it where you can, you can do certain things, go to certain places that, you know, none of us were able to go before, but it's funny. You talk about the park. We still had that issue here where I took my son to one over the weekend and they still got the rims off. Like they just took the rim straight off. Yeah. That's uh, how it is in, uh, in almost every park around here. Yeah. So I guess basket, I saw like here in Maryland, they say you can do certain things like fishing, tennis, because they ain't taking all the nets off the tennis courts and stuff. <laughs> but, I, but I guess basketball, uh, understandably, I mean, it's hard to stay away from people in basketball. Golf is you can do golf now, but I guess basketball is still one of those things you can't do. Yeah, it, w- it was rough because when I found the park, my eyes lit up because not, there are zero parks that have any, any, bag, any hoops attached to them. So when I saw this one, my eyes lit up. I saw people playing. I ran right over to them. I was like, mm-hmm. look. If I'm going to get the the virus, this is how I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> get it on the court. If I'm going to get the Rona, I'm going to get it snatching somebody's ankles. <laughs> ball, ball is life. <laughs> or death. Either way. Uh, we'll, uh, that, we'll follow that story. We're going to follow you, Chris, on this and see how this whole basketball thing shakes out. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, it's done. It got shut oh. down. Oh, that's right. It, yeah, yesterday I passed by and uh, – the hoops were gone. Oh. So, so yeah, I was yeah very sad. I was that I was devastated. That that ended quicker than I thought it would. Yeah, you would have thought my puppy died <laughs> with the way I looked. <laughs> I hey look, it's, it's that Brandon Carr getting cut feeling. I know it. I know mm-hmm. it well. Um, Carrie, are you uh, are you having similar basketball issues where you're at? How how are things going for you? <laughs> oh no no no, I'm I'm still heavy on that quarantine life, man. I, I think I'm gonna be in until 2021. <laughs> <laughs> just people to do the right thing, man. So you know, I just try to stay in and stay out of the way. And um, you know, with my knees, I definitely ain't playing no basketball until I can, you know, get me two new ones on Amazon. <laughs> right about now, you can get almost anything on Amazon. I mean, that's yeah. always been the case, but I mean, that's pretty much how a lot of people are living right now. Everything just being delivered to their home. So, you know, you might be able to get you some kneecaps out there. You never know. <laughs> he talked to Mascara. I don't know where he got his at. But um, he out in the garage getting it in. Well, that's where we're at. That's where everybody's at right now. Pretty much in the same boat myself. Uh, 
did get to go out and do some fishing with my daughter the other day. She shamed me as she usually does in all all competitions. I saw uh, that. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Look, look, for the record, and my wife said I should, I should not tell people this because she was like, why are you trying to steal the shine off an eight-year-old girl? I said, look, 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 I'm not trying to steal nobody's shine. I'm just, I'm just trying to be factual, okay? So, yes, on the first cast, she did catch a fish. But basically, what happened was she hadn't caught any, like, you know, we cast it out there, sitting there, nothing was happening. She was getting a little, little impatient. I was like, all right, let's, let's reel it back in, make sure you still got worm on the hook. So we're just reeling it in. And she literally caught the fish as she was reeling it in. <laughs> it was like snag, like when we got the fish out of the water, it was like on the side, you know, the hook was like on the side of the fish. And I was like, well, did she really catch it? Or, you know. And my wife was like, no, she caught the fish. Did you catch it? She was like, was it on your rod? Did you catch it? <laughs> I was like, no, it was not on my rod. So no, I did not catch it. You just trying to keep her humble. Well, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't want to I don't want to blow up her head because she did tell me she was like, I might catch a fish every time I throw my, my eye <laughs> in the water. Yeah, just say, hey, you never know. She's like, daddy, I might just catch one every time. I was like, yeah, you just might. So that's the attitude she needs. That's it. You know, hey, shooters, shooters got to shoot. Scores got to yep. score. That's 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 how it is. So yes, it was good. It was good to do something, you know, that was fun and get out a little bit and um, so I think we're getting, you know, we'll get there a little bit at a time, but yeah, people are always going to be, I think still a little hesitant, um, just cause you don't know, you know, you get back out there in any kind of, kind of large scale way and, um, you don't know what's going to happen. So you kind of just want, I know for me, we kind of just want to sit back and all right. I mean, it sounds bad to say this, but I'm just being honest, sit back, let some other people go out there. <laughs> see what happens, right? Let's wait a couple weeks because they say was fourteen days incubation period. Let's let's just see what happens um, before we jump back out there. So um, I don't know, maybe I'm being a little too cautious about it, but that's that's just the way we play it. But anyway, let's talk some football. We've talked enough about the quarantine. Nobody really wants to hear about that. So <laughs> let's get into some football topics. And uh, our first one, I think, is a really um, even though we haven't had football, like actual football in a while, uh, I still think this is kind of a hot button topic. I think whenever I see it come up on Twitter in the Ravens community, I think it's still kind of a hot button kind of thing. Um, I guess anything around the Titans game is going to be a hot button kind of thing. But this isn't specifically just about that, but it's, it's got to tie in. So um, Kerry proposed these topics, great topics, as always, uh, to kind of start the discussion. So. Let me set it up and then I'll let you guys kind of chop through it. Um, so we know what the Ravens have done in free agency on the defensive side of the ball. Right. We've talked about those additions. Uh, Calais Campbell, Derek Wolf. Um, you know, we talked about what they've done. And I'm probably leaving some guys out, but I know we'll add them in, in the discussion. Um, things that they've done in the draft, taking two inside linebackers or linebackers. Let me not limit them that way. Um, defensive linemen later in the draft two two defensive linemen. Um, and so the way that you can look at, I mean, you can look at it a couple different ways. You could say, well, is this a specific reaction to the Titans game in terms of trying to improve the front seven, um, you know, to address the, the, the run uh, defense specifically from that game? We all know what Derrick Henry did. Is it more broad than that, is it about the run defense overall over the course of the season? Or is it not about that at all? Is some other reason 
why maybe they, they made the moves that they made. So I'll start with you, Carrie. Take that in any direction that you want to go. What do you think uh, in terms of the moves that they've made on defense and, and you know, what they mean, basically? Yeah, I, I, I kind of had the opposite feeling on it. You know, I can understand how somebody who maybe doesn't follow the team as closely could come to this conclusion. I mean, when you think about it, uh, they prioritize uh, Michael Brockers very early on in free agency. Um, you know, we know what kind of run defender he is and, you know, that didn't work out. But, you know, like we've always said, teams kind of tell you um, the truth through their moves, um, you know, more than anything else. Um, then you see them draft uh, two inside uh, linebackers in the draft. But to me, when you really dig into uh, the moves and you look at the replacements, um, I think you see you'll see a very different case. Um, you know, I, I, I'm looking at it more from, uh, you know, snap count perspective, position perspective. But if you're looking at, you know, one to one replacements, um, I see it as Michael Pierce was replaced by Calais Campbell. Uh, Chris Warmly was replaced by Derek Wolf. Um, uh, Damata Pecco was replaced by um, Justin Matabuke. Uh, you know, Peanut was replaced by Patrick Queen. Josh Baz was replaced by Malik Harrison. Um, I think all of those, man, are pretty clear upgrades to the pass defense, uh, whether it be as pass rushers or as coverage players. Um, the one out of that that maybe you can make the argument with is uh, Bynes over Harrison as far as 2020 would, um, would go, you know, based just off his experience. Uh, we've talked a lot about how, um, you know, smart and instinctive Bynes was and it made up for his uh, athletic limitations. But, you know, Harrison is, you know, very, very slept on as a as an athlete and, uh, you know, projects as a guy that I think can do a little bit more in the um, past, um, you know, in the coverage game than uh, people may expect. So while I think it was important for the Ravens, um, you know, to improve uh, as a run defense, I think that was something they probably uh, set out to do and want to get more stop up front. Uh, but like I said, when you look at those re- moves, you know, one-to-one looking at the replacements, um, I think it shows that they were very um, uh, intent on getting better as a, a, a pass defense and, you know, especially as an interior pass rush. So, um, you know, like I said, uh, on the surface, I can understand how people can feel that way. But when you really break down these moves, um, you know, to me, it's clear that they that they wanted to get better, um, you know, as a as a pass defense. Yeah, I think you make some good points there when you when you look at it specifically that way, like individual player to individual player. It does become more clear because if it was really about all right, we felt like, you know, we got destroyed in the run game, particularly in that Titans game, then, okay, we would look for uh, a direct replacement for Michael Pierce, like a guy that looked like Michael Pierce, right? That kind of body type, a guy that played that way. Uh, We would look for guys who are maybe more in between the tackle thumpers at inside linebacker more than guys who, uh, you know, can really run and, and, and cover, right? And I know people will say, well, okay, they got Harrison. Harrison's in between 
the tackle thumper. But to your point, he's more athletic, man, than people are giving him credit for. I think when you you turn on his tape and you watch, if you look at his size, yeah, his size tells you or should or, or you think it should tell you, you know, he, he's an in-between the tackle guy. And then you watch how he plays and how he takes on blocks and you see that and he certainly can do it. I'm not saying he can't do that, but I, I wouldn't limit him to only that. I think uh, something I watched and tweeted out some clips uh, over the last week of him lining up on the edge at Ohio State and, you know, lining up at outside linebacker and like rushing and dropping into coverage and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I think he's he's got a little more versatility and variety to his game uh, than maybe some people realize. But that that's a that's a good way to look at it. Chris, let me kick it over to you. What do you think those those moves mean? Do you see it similarly to Kerry or, or, or what do you see? Yeah, I, I agree with Kerry, and um, I, f- I feel like it just, the Titans game just accentuated accentuated what what needed to be done because throughout the season they they made these these pickups where they had to you know rely on a Jihad Ward and they had to pick up Petco and Ellis and then two linebackers with Fort and uh, Bynes. So these were already uh, areas of need even before the Titans game. So these are just what they did was it it feels like since they lost, that was the last thing that we saw. So it feels like they jumped to overcorrect. But when you just look at the the way the season unfolded last year, these were positions that had to be upgraded either way, whether it's a Titans game or not. You don't want to go into the season with Peco as one of your starters, you know, or Josh Bynes. He did a great job of filling in, but you don't want to go into the you know year 2020 with Josh Bynes as your starter and having to rely on him. So I I do agree that them hitting those needs and you know adding all of these reinforcements on the defensive line, it w- it was really smart of them to do uh, both from a veteran standpoint because they got Wolf and um, and Calais Campbell. But then they also thought about the future as well with the two interior guys uh, with uh, Washington and Matabuke uh, and then also with the linebackers, too. So they had for they, they have 2020 in mind, but then they also have the future in mind, too, where they could groom those guys. And it doesn't have to be a rush job where, you know, we have to, you know, bring these guys along really quickly because uh, Derek Wolf got injured. Or, you know, we don't have Derek Wolf, so we have to throw in a rookie now. So I, I, I like what they did as far as how the defensive side is, is looking so far. Yeah, I do, too. I do, too. I mean, you know, you can you can frame it a bunch of different ways. But I think what you said there at the end is kind of the bottom line for me. I like what they did. Um, however you want to frame why they did it or why you think they did it, yeah, that that's up to each individual person. But. At the end of the day, I like what they did because uh, and we talked about this. I think when you look at guys like Campbell and guys like Derek Wolf, they're veterans, as you said, but they're also guys that have been on winning teams. I know people will say, well, what, Calais Campbell, the Jaguars last couple? Yeah, last couple of years. No, but obviously we remember they had that 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 run uh, where they got to the AFC championship game. And then, you know, he, he had a whole nother career in Arizona. Uh, you know, when you go back in Arizona, when Bruce Arians was there, they 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 had some good teams, you know, made some playoff runs. And 
I don't remember if he was on the Super Bowl team or not where they played Pittsburgh. I don't, I don't know if Campbell was on that team or not. He was. Um, he was on that okay. team. Okay. So, and then, you know, we know Derek Wolf was on the Broncos the year that they won it with Peyton. So, you know, you, you bring these guys in who have been in championship games, um, you know, won championship games, have been in that environment and understand what it takes to win in those situations. And, you know, I, I was making a parallel to the last dance. You know, everybody kind of was captivated by that. And, you know, early on, the first couple of episodes, they talked about Jordan. Um, we first got to the Bulls and how, you know, they were winning some games. He was getting them to the playoffs, but they were losing every year. And, you know, what we tend to really remember and, and focus on, which, you know, was obvious because they won six championships in a row. So that's where your mind is going to gravitate. But we tend to forget about those those four, five, six years where, you know, he wasn't able to break through, right? He wasn't able to get, you know, to the ultimate goal. And, um, you know, we talked about this before we started recording that, you know, learning to win championships, right? Learning to win in the postseason is a process. It doesn't just happen overnight. I mean, there, there are certainly, you know, instances where somebody steps into something their first year and, and maybe is able to be a part of a team that wins a championship. But there are usually reasons for that beyond just that that great player that comes in, that good player that comes in. For most people, there's a learning process when it comes to winning and winning, you know, in, in championship environment. So I think you always want to try to add people who you think have that experience if you have a younger team, um, you know, and, and on defense, you know, when you look around at the Ravens, yeah, some of the guys that they had, I mean, Pierce had been here for a while. Obviously, Williams had, had been here. And still is here uh, for a while. But, um, you know, you didn't have a lot of guys on that defense last year, maybe other than than Earl um, and Jimmy, I guess, if you go far enough back, who who had been, you know, involved in, in, in championship games. So I think that was part of, at least in my mind. That that's just part of, of some of the motivation behind bringing those guys in specifically. And to your point and to Kerry's point, with the draft picks, you know, it's about getting younger and more athletic, right, on the defensive line and at the linebacker position. Like you, you both mentioned, hey, Bynes and Fort came in, did an admirable job. Uh, Fort's still here. Um, but you've got to get younger and more athletic at those positions. And on the D-line, you definitely had to get younger um, because they, they, they had, you know, a, I guess I still call them young vets to some extent, you know, Williams and, and guys who have been around for a while. But um you know, you, you, you had to find a way after you bring in after you brought in Campbell and Wolf, who, who are not young vets, they're vets, but they're not young, um, you know, to, to try to get younger uh, at some, some spots along the defensive line. So I think they were able to do both things, um, get some leadership um, sort of experience and, you know, through the draft, get some some young guys in. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, the, the Titans thing for me is is an interesting thing because. It's it's similar to the Chargers thing where I think um, it sounds like an oversimplification, and it probably is because you, you probably should go through specific plays and really really look at it that way. But they got outplayed, you okay. know. They got outplayed and they made mistakes uh, that they had made for the better part of the year. And you know when that happens, particularly in in the you know one and done situation for the playoffs, everything gets magnified, right? Everything looks like the skies fall in. You need to fix this. You need to fix that um, because your season's over. But I, I, I don't I don't think that you can necessarily overreact um, 
to things in those in those you know environments, uh, and I don't think they did. So yeah, yeah and they, and, it's, and like you said before we started recording, they won 14 games last year. So what they're doing is working. Yeah. So it's not like you have to reinvent the wheel and just do a complete overhaul on everything. They had, I mean, it's amazing when you look at, like, let's just say if you go back in time after the week four loss to to the Browns and you say this team is not going to lose another game and they'll be a number one seed. When you look at the holes on the, on the, you know, both sides of the ball, that would be amazing. But they were able to get through all of that and it, it kind of masked the, you know, the needs that they had pretty much all season because the whole season they had holes on the defensive line. They had holes at outside linebacker. They had holes at linebacker, but since they went on that amazing run, it masked all of those needs. And then when it rears this ugly head in, you know, at the worst time, then that's when it gets magnified. And, you know, that's when everybody wants to jump on, you know, are they, you know, overcorrecting because of this playoff loss? It's like, no, this, those those problems were there before. It's just Lamar was so great and the team was so great that it, it masked those those deficiencies. Yeah, because those things don't go. It's not like a light switch where you can just flick it on and off and those things go away. When you, you talk about those two games and really you could even spread it back to the Arizona game, even though they won that game. But their defense had given up. 400 yards, Arizona, 500 yards to Kansas City, 500 yards to the Browns. <laughs> you know, that's not the kind of thing that you flip a switch in the middle of the season and say, okay, we're now a stingy defense and we're not, you know, all those problems are fixed, right? They're never going to come up again. Um, certainly they were better and they didn't give up the kind of yardage that they gave up in those games. But you're right. They, they still had areas where, um, it was it was almost like a temporary solution, right? It, it, Band-aids. It's, it's working, yeah. It's, it's working right now, and and you know we'll we'll continue to ride it out and try to make it work for as long as we can to get through the season, win as many games as we can. But I think they knew long term that you know they needed to to invest in it in a more serious way, you know, if they were going to have long term success and and, and sustain long term good defensive play and not just be able to get through a season on a, on a magical ride. Cause it's really what it turned out to be. And I think, you know, they were able to control game script for most of those games, right? They want to play a certain way. Um, you know, they, they want to run the ball. They want to maintain possession. And then, you know, once they, they are able to get a lead on you, then, you know, you're, you're forced to become one dimensional and that plays into the strength of their defense, which was their secondary. So, you know, I think they have a formula um, for how they want to play. And when they're able to stay on that script and play that way, um, things work really well for them. Right. But I think part of what maybe they realized is obviously that's what we want to do. But what happens when that doesn't happen? What happens when you're in a game where you're not on that script? You're not able to stay on that script. And now you need your defense to do some things differently. Right. Um Maybe they've got to come from behind now. Maybe they've got to force some turnovers. Maybe they've got to generate some pressure. Um, and so you want to be able to to play it in a variety of ways, right? You don't want to just be locked into playing one particular kind of way because you're not all. Every game's not going to go that way. So, and and that's yeah. what you see with the players that they drafted is guys that can be versatile. So 
you know, you just look at the two linebackers that they take. If they're playing a team like the Titans that want a thump, they have Malik Harrison. If there's a team that likes to spread things out like the Chiefs, they have Patrick Queen who can hopefully, you know, fill that spot up too as well. That's for the linebacker spot. So the guys that they brought in, they wanted to be that they could just be chameleons. Like whatever team, whatever a team wants to do, we can do that as well. And we can just change weekly if we need to. Yeah, no, I agree. I totally agree with that. And so, you know, I think the Titans game will continue to come up. Uh, it'll it'll come up even, you know, when the season starts, assuming the season starts. Um, you know, that that's the, when, when you lose those games, same thing for the Chargers game the year before. You lose those games. And like I said, it's the playoffs and it's one and done. That's going to be the narrative until you change it. Right. Until you're able to win in that environment, that's going to be the narrative um, from, you know, not not everybody. Obviously, there's some fans who won't see it that way, but um, probably for the majority of people that that would be the, the narrative. It's like, hey, these guys can't get over the hump. And so that's just how it is until you learn how to win those games. So yeah. um, it's part of the process. Right. Particularly with a young team. So um, I'm optimistic about it. I think that they will learn how to win those games. It's just you can't put the cart before the horse, right? You got to go through the process of learning how to win, and often that that involves some losing in those situations, you know, to learn from from those experiences. So it is what it is um, on that. So next topic, um, another interesting one, I think uh, that that can can be talked about in a bunch of different ways. Um, so the Ravens, we just talked about Chris. You mentioned them going 14 and two. Uh, we all know they set the rushing record. Lamar, 36 passing touchdowns, unanimous MVP. But we get to talk about the dreaded blueprint, right? <laughs> so <laughs> now that the, 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 you hear this too, so you hear about blueprints all the time, and you also hear about, well, now the league's got a year of film on them, right, on this player or on this offense, as if, you know, the player or the offense doesn't also have a year of experience under their belt and are, you know, working on ways that they can adjust and improve. So, it's, it's funny how people say that it's only like it's a one-way street they got film on you <laughs> they're going to get better against you and you're you're just going to stay status quo right you're not going to change um but anyway so you know we'll take that and we'll run with it so the league has this year a film on the ravens uh their offense everybody kind of knows what they do now um so you're not catching anybody off guard i'll start with you first on this one chris um how do you think that that plays out you know how, where do you come down on that with you know, sort of cats out of the bag, I guess, on the Ravens. How do you how do you how do you see that? Um, so the the way I see it is is not so much like you know a team will have the blueprint now. The you know the Titans gave the league a way to to beat the the Ravens now. I don't see it that way, but what how I do see it is, I do think it'll be tougher on the Ravens because now teams are going to be getting up. Because it's like, oh, we're playing the MVP. We're playing Baltimore. Like that's it has a, a different kind of feel to it now for other teams. Like it's a it's a big time game now. And and just when you look at the NFL scheduling and how many primetime games they gave the Ravens, teams are gonna get up. That's gonna, you know, make guys wanna play better against them when it's, you know, such a high profile team like the Ravens are now, now that they have Lamar. So I do think in that sense it'll be tougher because you'll be getting everyone's A game. 
like everyone's going to be up for that game. So it's it, it's it's going to be a little bit tougher in my opinion. But as far as the blueprint stuff, that's nonsense because if there was a blueprint out there, then how how did they win the 14 games like we said earlier? The I know like we spoke about earlier, the Chargers beat them in the playoffs before in 2018. Every team has that tape. So if if the Chargers had the blueprint, why didn't every team use it in 2019? And now, you know, the Titans beat them in 2019. So every league's going to have that tape. And I I don't see every league being able to solve that problem that that's Lamar Jackson and his offense. So I just, I think it's nonsense. Now, you know, what's funny about the whole blueprint thing is I think we, when you hear it, I I think, think it's almost people get too specific with it they look at it too narrowly like i really think that there is a blueprint i think there's a blueprint for winning and losing games uh, and i think if you look at from a broad perspective think i mean you could even spin this back to the to the chargers game but let's just talk about the titans game if you turn the ball over five times right mm. Two interceptions, a fumble, and two fourth down stops. I count those as turnovers because you're giving the ball back to the other team. If you allow that other team to score three touchdowns and four red zone trips, uh, if they get that lead through those three touchdowns and now you become one-dimensional and have to throw the ball when what you really want to hang your hat on offensively is running the ball, yeah, that's the blueprint. That's how you're going to beat them. Okay, <laughs> if you do that to them, you're probably going to beat them, right? And it's it's the the numbers were slightly different. I don't remember how many turnovers they had in the Chargers game, but I, I think it was it was a couple. Uh, they had some early ones. I remember a couple of fumbles early, uh, and, the and the Chargers, drops too. Yeah, and the drops and the Chargers got a lead. And then again, you take a team who really wants to hang its hat on running the ball and now force them to have to pass. Not that they can't pass, but pass in a way where they're not able to keep you honest with the pass, right? Because they're not able to run the ball as much. So now it's just drop back, drop back, drop back, drop back. They can certainly pass, but I think they want to, they want to do it when they, when they pass, they want to do it in a way that keeps you honest, right? And that that's having the compliment of the run game. So to me, that that's the blueprint, right? And you can say the same thing about how they play on offense when they win the game, when they run the ball and maintain possession and control the clock and keep your offense off the field, run up a lead, now your defense um, is tired, right, in third and fourth quarters. Now you become one-dimensional one dimensional as the opponent and have to throw the ball into the strength of their defense, which is their secondary. That's the blueprint. That is how they want to win games. So I think blueprints do exist, but they're general. It's not like something that somebody did specifically in one game. These are like blueprints in terms of this stuff has been true in football going back to the beginning of the game. This is how you win football games. This is how you lose football games. I think those things have been consistent throughout time. But I think people look at individual games and say, okay, hey, no, here's here it is. This is how you do it. Mm-hmm. But then if you broaden it out, you say, well, yeah, if you force five turnovers and do this and do that, <laughs> yeah, you should probably win that game. Um, but, Kerry, okay, that's enough of my rant. Uh, let me get your thoughts. What do you think about that, right? The, the, the league has seen the Ravens offense. And now that's it, right? It's over. The show's over. <laughs> yeah, for me, man, I go straight to the to the offensive coordinator. I mean, Greg Roman, um, coach run games have been bankable far before last season. You know, you can go back to his start as an OC um, in San Francisco, 
and you know travel all the way to 2020 and you see nothing but top eight um, running games in the league. Uh, for me, his run game is no different um, from a credibility standpoint to uh, you know Cal Shanahan, well Mike Shanahan and now Cal Shanahan's uh, run game. Um, but we just don't view those um, things in the same light because, uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan is doing it without a running quarterback. And then we associate running quarterback with gimmick. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, all these all the different runs that um, Roman can throw at you, his feel um, for when to implement counters, when to stay the course, all that, all those things to me. That gives your offense a floor. You know, it's a given that his teams are going to run the football at a at a high level. Uh, then, you know, this, the second part of that is just, you know, Lamar being Lamar. I mean, going to next season, um, like this dude could literally not run the ball one time next season and defensive coordinators would still have to, um, you know, account for him in the running game, you know, based just off the gravity that his athleticism brings. So to me, those two factors just create such a strong floor that I just don't see how um, people can feel like there is some kind of blueprint because, you know, they're going to get off the bus of being able to run the football. And, you know, unless um, Lamar Jackson, like, you know, starts to run four, eight out of the blue, you know, gains a bunch of weight or, you know, whatever, like he's still going to be the most explosive open field guy, you know, maybe in the whole entire NFL. So, you know, those two things, man, you know, though they set the stage and, you know, like I said, you know, because he's a running quarterback, you, we're looking at it like it's a, a gimmicky kind of thing. And, and, you know, people get a, um, you know, a year worth of film on it and, you know, feel like they can figure it out. But Lamar and, and the RPO game, you know, part of this offense um, it's not all of a sudden going to evaporate because people have film on it. You know, this is a decision based uh, you know, thing. It's a numbers game. You know, in most cases, the defense is going to concede something and it's up to him to figure out whether they concede on that given given play. So, you know, that's the way I, I, I really look at it. Um, I lean to more towards the Ravens figuring more things out from a blueprint standpoint than, you know, the other way around. Um with those things in place, like I said, the the floor with Greg Roman's uh, running game and Lamar's athleticism, uh, they know just as well as the the league knows that you know teams are gonna uh, feel like they have to make adjustments and do certain things to try to counter what the Ravens do. So what do you do? You anticipate those things and then you build in your counters. You know, you 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 find kind of tendency breaking plays and, you know, certain schemes and, and, you know, things of that nature. And you you build those into your offense. So I think you'll see much more of that um, as opposed to some kind of blueprint of, of, of figuring this team out. You know, I, it, it kind of makes me laugh when I hear stuff like that, because. Like I said, like a Kyle Shanahan, his run game. It's bankable. You know, people look at that and they just feel like, you know, every week he's going to be able to run the football. So I don't hear anybody talking about, um, you know, Kyle Shanahan's running game isn't going to sneak up on anybody this year. And, and to me, I think Greg Roman's track record uh, 
speaks volumes. I think he's in the same um, stratosphere as far as a run game goes. So to me, if you can't figure out his uh, his running game to stop his running game, then, you know, this is a moot point. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> you you hit it perfectly at the end there. Uh, so, you know, that that Shanahan run scheme, that that wide zone, outside zone running scheme, whenever there is a game where somebody defends that well and let's say they don't put up big numbers or it's 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 you know they 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 just don't have the kind of rushing uh success that they're used to having um nobody says that that's the blueprint for stopping the wide zone running game right got it figured (laughs) out nobody will ever have success with it again you just you just don't hear that but what's funny is whenever you have you you said it perfectly man whenever you have quarterback runs in your running game when, when the quarterback run is, is a part of what you do and there's maybe some option elements in there and let's say there's a game where those get limited or kind of stop because see told you the option won't work you can't run that stuff right that stuff's not gonna work but I, I just don't understand the double standard there where one you know both both schemes can have a down game but one scheme hasn't been written off just because of that down game but the other scheme is now no longer viable right can't use it anymore uh, just because they had a bad because they had a bad game but i guess you know maybe maybe there's some some bias in that um when when people say those kinds of things and i don't know to me it's just interesting how this stuff all goes in cycles i guess you know if you look at it from a long enough perspective you know you go back far enough the forward, the forward pass was the gimmick right originally yep. <laughs> like the basis of football was all about running the ball and when people started throwing the ball they're like that'll never last it's a gimmick right and so but then it does right and it starts to become effective and now you know it's 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 probably what what teams do the majority of the time on offense but if you look at the pass it's really just an extension of the option run game right so in the option what did you do you had to make decisions about what to do with the ball based on what the defense did, right? So when you drop back to pass and you're looking at wide receivers or reading a, a defense, you're making a decision. You're making a choice. You're making an option. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw to this guy because the defense is out leverage, or I'm not going to throw to that guy because he's double teamed. It's the same thing. It's just an extension. It's an evolution, right? But in terms of like philosophically, I have the option to throw it to this receiver or that receiver. Whereas when you're running, you know, I have the option to hand the ball to this ball carrier or hand the ball to that ball carrier. It's just an extension um, in my mind and an evolution. So I don't know. I don't I've never I've always kind of been confused why people look at um, parts of the quarterback run game, particularly the option. They're like, OK, well, this is a gimmick. It was one of the oldest parts of football. <laughs> it's been around forever. And so many of the current things in the game evolved from it. So. I don't know why now it's it's so gimmicky. Um, I get the injury thing. I understand that. That's that is a real factor. Um, and obviously that, you know, that was a big narrative we heard in 2018. Right. Oh, he's going to get injured. He's never going to last. And then you didn't hear it again in 2019. So does it mean it's gone? No, of course, he could get hurt on any play. He's probably got a better. He said it himself. He's probably got a better chance of getting hurt standing in the pocket <laughs> than he does running the ball because you're not able to protect yourself in the same way. Um, you know, he, he can dictate w- how he's getting hit when he's running forward. When he's yeah. in the pocket, he can't dictate how he's getting hit. 
No, you got your eyes downfield and you don't you don't know how guys are coming into contact with you or where they're coming, you know, what part of the body they're coming into contact with. So, yeah, it, when you run the ball, um, anybody who runs the ball has an opportunity to get hurt. <laughs> I mean, it's football. Um, so I get that part of it. Uh, but all of the other stuff, I I don't know. I'm, I'm with both of you guys. I don't I don't quite know how to take some of it. Um, but anyway, <laughs> let's move on to the next topic. Um, Steve Smith, senior, a man near and dear to Ravens fans' hearts. Um, obviously, he played better part of the, you know, bigger part of his career in Carolina, but uh, played a couple of years here in Baltimore and was the same guy. Uh, maybe not in terms of like overall like production, but like the attitude, the mentality that he played with. Same guy. And I think instantly Ravens fans, you know, fell in love with that, gravitated towards that because um, he played like a Raven. He, he just was like a guy who probably should have been a Raven his whole career, uh, just in terms of the way that he played that mindset. You know, I think people felt the same way about Anquan Bolden when he came here, just that mindset, you know. Uh, but but Steve had some interesting comments recently about playing wide receiver uh, in the in the current Ravens office. I don't I don't I know he did an interview. I think he did it with one oh five seven, the fan. Um, I don't have the audio, but I've got at least one part of the quotes. And I know this is always dangerous if you don't have the whole thing just to read one part. But I looked it up. This is what I could find. So here's what he says. He says, I'm a wide receiver. And my question is always going to be, how is this passing game going to develop? I hate to say it this way, but as a wide receiver, I loved to block. But I didn't wake up trying to block and run 70 plays a game. And 68 of the 70 are run plays. Because when the contract season comes up, you have leverage because my numbers aren't up. Um, so let me start with you on this one, Kerry. Um, you know, this has kind of gotten kicked around Ravens community and other places. Steve Smith saying that the Ravens offense isn't wide receiver friendly. What do you make of those comments from Steve Smith? Yeah, I thought they were interesting. I mean, on one hand, I get it. I mean, when we're talking about, like you said, the contract situations, you know, Guys aren't really out there getting, you know, 10 million a year for blocking. So, you know, I get it from that standpoint. But I also think, um, you know, more so than that, um, to me, it's just kind of a beauty and I had a beholder situation. I mean, if we're talking volume, sure, uh, there are going to be teams that throw it 200 more times a year than what the Ravens will. Um, so that's a lot less um, um, opportunities from a sheer, um, you know, volume numbers pers- um, perspective. But when I watched the Ravens offense last year, uh, schematically, uh, I saw um, Greg Roman uh, scheme players open, uh, you know, in breaking routes and, you know, gave guys uh, uh, chances to make plays. Um, I see a quarterback who is arguably the best off script creator in the NFL you know, um, you know, maybe behind Mahomes, but right there, you know, in that stratosphere. Uh, so, you know, maybe this is an offense where you're going to get 10 targets every game, um, you know, um, that you step on the field. Um, but you, when you look at this offense, you have a run game that attracts a great deal of attention. And then you have a quarterback that can extend plays and, and make magic happen downfield. Um, I think that's kind of something that, Maybe we didn't see as much of as we're going to see going forward just because, you know, they've added more talent and more of a a speedy element um, to the offense. So for me, um, 
I'm looking at a team that has a quarterback that just won the MVP, but is still ascending as a player. So, you know, all those different factors I just, you know, went over. I might take my chances on six targets a game with that guy as opposed to, you know, 10 targets a game with, uh, you know, like a Jared Goff or something like that. So, you know, I I get where he's coming from, but, you know, I I think we saw some of the special elements um, of this offense. And I think we're just kind of scratching the ceiling of, um, I mean, scratching the surface of, you know, what, what this offense can be as far as a, a, a passing game goes. So, you know, while I do understand it from a, a sheer numbers perspective, I think there's some, um, you know, untapped potential uh, with this offense and the continuity of it that's going to, um, you know, come into play here and and, and make this, um, you know, more wide receiver friendly offense than I think most people are kind of giving it credit for. I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm going to save my comments uh, right here. I won't stick them in the middle. I'll go right over to Chris. Chris, let me give you a hypothetical, man. You're a free agent wide receiver, right? You're looking around. Obviously, you want to get paid. But you're looking at the Ravens and you're saying, man, they went 14 and two last year. I want to get paid, no doubt, but never, never hurts to win some games. But if I get up in there and they got me blocking all year, next time it's time to sit down and negotiate a contract. I don't know, man. <laughs> that's you, Chris. What do you think? Uh, uh, that's difficult. But I'm with as physical as as footballers, I'm probably trying trying to get paid somewhere else. Um, <laughs> not because because it's fun to win, right? It's it's fun to win, and you know you want to win, you want to be a part of something. But then at the end of the day, you also want to establish, uh, you know some kind of wealth for your children and hopefully their children too. And you only have a certain amount of time to maximize that value. So it's like, yeah, winning the championship, that's cool. But, you know, I don't also need to make sure that my family is good for generations if I can. And how would a Ravens be able to maximize that at the wide receiver position? I'm not sure that they can, but I can't see both sides of the coin because, like Kerry said, Lamar is just scratching the surface right now. But this isn't his final form. You know, there's another level that he can hit. I mean, he was the MVP, but that's not the ceiling. He can go even even higher than that. He can perform better. So we're watching a player that, you know, got way better with just one offseason. And now he has a full year under his belt, and he's going to be coming into his second year as a full-time starter. So we always say, you know, uh, progression is it's not always linear. But, I mean, just looking at his track record, you would think that he's he should be coming in as a better passer, or you would hope that he's going to be, you know, slinging the ball around a little bit more this time and seeing things in year two, where he's the full-time starter that he didn't see year one. Because there, there are just certain things that you just won't be able to get on, unless you see them over and over and over again. And he has that full year to now see these these things that he didn't, he didn't get last year. So if you want to bank on that, that's fine. But 
Um, I would I get what Steve Spence was was alluding to. It's 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 not really an indictment on the Ravens offense because, you know, like he said, he likes the block. And, you know, there's there's certain wide receivers that you could bring into a system and, you know, they'll they'll assimilate. And, you know, like Miles Boykin did Miles Boykin, he the way the coaches spoke about him, he had no problem not getting the target and, and, you know, doing his job and, you know, relying that, that he won't be pouting or, you know, that he'll half-ass a block. He was out there working, no matter if he was getting a target or if he was getting five targets, he was out there working. And not every wide receiver is built like that. So I think with the Ravens, what they want to do is they want to bring young guys into their system. So when you bring a rookie in, it's like, all right, this guy has the mental makeup. Well, we believe this guy has the mental makeup like Boykin did, where it's not just about me. It's not just about how many times am I going to be throwing the ball. It's more I'm a team player and I'm willing to do everything that I can to win. So I think that's why we see them bring in so many young guys where you have Prochet, Devin DuVernay, Miles Boykin, Hollywood we see those guys that have that kind of attitude and mindset where they're not going to be divas. Well, that's what you hope. They're not going to be divas. They're going to come in and do what they have to do. But then on the opposite end, if you bring in a guy who's a free agent, let's say, I don't know, like, uh, let's just say, for example, like an AJ green, who's used to getting targets. He's, you know, not a guy that's going to be used to blocking all the time. That could be a frustrating situation because this is a guy who, who's used to being that number one wide receiver in a pass-happy offense. So I, I can see both sides of the coin. Definitely see both sides. Yeah, and you make a good point there at the end about the distinction between free agent wide receivers and guys that they bring in through the draft. Because you're right, from a free agent wide receiver perspective, even if you're not A.J. Green. I mean, look, at you can go back to Seth Roberts, right, who they brought in last year. So, you know, obviously he's Seth, you know, not getting the kind of target volume that A.J. Green has gotten throughout his career. But even what he was getting out in L.A., and this is probably true for almost every other team in the league, unless you play for Seattle, you're going to see more passing volume in almost every other offense in the league other than the Ravens and then probably the Seahawks, um, you know, because I think they're, they're up there in terms of teams who, who for the last couple of years, who have run the ball uh, the most. And so if you're a free agent wide receiver and you know that you're going to a team that runs the ball as much as they do and throws it, um, I won't say as little, but doesn't, doesn't throw it at the same level that most of the other teams around the league throws it at, then yeah, you know, practically from a contract standpoint that, you know, that that's probably not, gonna help you uh when it comes time to negotiate your next contract so that like like both of you guys said that part of steve's point is very practical and very real and um to your point chris about the distinction between bringing you know young guys in that you draft um sounds bad to say it this way but they they basically don't have a choice you know, <laughs> you, you drafted them <laughs> and, and you selected them to come and play for your team and so you know they're they're going to be brought into this current offensive scheme 
run heavy as it is. And, you know, that that's going to be a bigger part of what they're probably asked to do in terms of, you know, a role in the run game blocking or what have you, than maybe what they would do uh, in, in other team on other teams and other offensive schemes. But it's almost like if that's what you're brought into, and you were drafted, you know, most of the time, you know, these guys, you know, that's the dream, the first dream, right? It's just being drafted. And now, you know, you're drafted and you're on a team and you're probably not going to be, you know, it's not going to be a, a, a Keyshawn Johnson throw me the damn ball kind of situation uh, when you're like in your first year. You know what I mean? For most guys, mm-hmm. um, for most guys. But then, you know, you look at some of their guys and you say, OK, Mark Andrews had 98 targets. You know, 64 catches, 850 yards. Hollywood had 71 targets, only 40-something catches and 500, you know, almost 600 yards. But again, he was dealing with injury. You know, he, he missed a number of games. Um, so we talked about this earlier. I mean, I think there are going to be certain guys in this offense who do see, you know, what would be considered a quote-unquote, you know, normal or average level of targets or sort of volume in the passing game. But that's not going to be true for everybody, you know, um, it, it, probably. But I say it that way only to come back to the point that you both made, too, is that we're basing this on what has happened, right? 2019, 2018. We don't know how this offense is going to evolve next. We don't know um, how Lamar is going to continue to develop and grow as a passer. You know, we like you said, Kerry, he's just scratching the surface you know we don't know what that ceiling is going to be and there's so many any jordan references in there right the ceiling is the roof uh we could <laughs> we could talk about the contract stuff you're being selfish when you're thinking about your contract <laughs> after he's gotten paid of course um it's just I've, I've i've watched so much of the last dance with my son i got so many jordan <laughs> references in my head jordan quotes <laughs> in my head winning has a price come on get out there and block price. <laughs> um but yeah it's it look i i just think that the practical part of what Steve Smith said, I totally agree with. And I think that's real when it's, when it's time to negotiate your next contract. I think what he's saying is very real. Um, and I think it just kind of got overblown. Cause I mean, I don't think he came out and was like, look, do not go there. You know, if you're a wide receiver, you do not want to go to the Ravens, right? That's into your career. It's not what he was saying. It's just, look, this is how they play. Uh, this may not necessarily be, what you're used to if you're coming from another team uh, and you just need to be aware of that and how that might impact you going forward. You know, if you, if you go there and I, I think that's real, I think every guy has to look at that. And if you look the last couple of years at the free agent wide receivers that they brought in, um, not a lot of guys have stuck around, right? You go back to 2018, you can look at uh, Crabtree and John Brown. Uh, Willie Sneed has stayed, right? You can look at Seth Roberts last year. He was one and done. Um, so it hasn't been for everybody and some of it may be the team, right? The team sort of setting a number for those guys based on performance and saying, Hey, here's what we're willing you know, to offer in terms of a contract. And some of it may be the players saying, eh, you know what? It almost doesn't matter. I, I just want to go somewhere else. We don't know. Um, but I think that's just probably always going to be a factor as long as they continue to be as run heavy as they've been, um, that you're going to have some free agent type of wide receivers who are, you know, it's, this is not necessarily going to be the best fit for them. And that's fine. You know, I mean, different strokes for different folks. Um, but I don't take it as a negative. I think 
there was, you know, I think some folks were maybe framing or trying to frame those comments as a negative, and I don't, I don't see it that way. Just he's just being real, you know. <laughs> and that's, that's a real that's Steve Smith. That, that is a real part of it. You can't you can't only look at the on the field part of it uh, because as we always hear the players say, it's a business, and you know this is their job. This is their profession, and you're only going to have so many opportunities to maximize your value and your earning potential. And when you get an opportunity to to, to take advantage of those situations, you got to you got to put yourself in the best possible you know shape to take advantage of those situations. So I, I totally get that. Um, but we're going to move now to the next one, next topic. And this one, it's a topic that I think we we all agree we had to talk about. I know recently. It's kind of been overcome by events because I guess this is not even something that's going to be up for vote among the NFL owners anymore. But Jim Trotter broke a story, uh, I guess, about a week ago now um, where there was this resolution where a team could improve its draft position if it hired a minority as a head coach or general manager. What improved meant? uh, I don't have the specifics in terms of like, all right, you're going to move from one round in the draft to another round or this pick to that pick. I, I don't know the specifics of what that meant. And like I said, it's, it's been tabled. I heard from now. So it's not something that's even up for vote anymore. Um, but I'll start with you with this one on carry. I think, um, full disclosure for anybody. I will, I'll speak for myself. I won't put it out there for anybody else. I'm black. And I know I was offended by, it. you know, I, it felt like a bribe to me to be quite honest um but that's my feelings let me say my carrie how, how did you feel when you heard this my first thought with it was man like we just got to figure out what rich people like because this is all like this is bribes like this is what we're doing like it's bribes right so i mean damn them dra- draft is we need to throw in some more tax breaks yeah throw in enough tax breaks what would be looking like the naacp up in here they'd be all up in there man but now, seriously, though, like when you really look at this, uh, like you had this past year, you got the official coordinator of the uh, eventual Super Bowl champion leading this explosive and innovative offense wins the Super Bowl. Typically, those things get you a job before the season is out, before the season is even over. You know, that guy already has a job. But instead, you heard questions about whether he was actually the one calling the plays and, um, you know, things of that nature. When, you know, his predecessor, um, you know, uh, Matt Nagy, um, when he came up um, for a job with the Bears, you didn't hear any of these questions about is he the one calling the plays or if Andy Reid is the one calling the plays. So, you know, it's clearly a, a problem here. There's a disconnect here and it starts at the top and. You know, all these different ideas, uh, like I'm with you, Mike, uh, you know, that the idea of the draft picks was, you know, kind of crazy to me, kind of insulting. But, you know, a lot of people are, are throwing out different ideas and like none of them seem to be enough to me. Um, you know, the one idea I've heard um, was one that Dominique Fosworth threw out uh, a few months back when he talked about how they need to make these teams um, you know, put it in writing when they hire a coach or a GM, you know, put it in writing. Why did I hire this guy? You know, give me specifics on why I hired this guy and then put it in writing as well. Or the people that you passed up, 
you know, specifics and writing. Why did I not hire this guy? To me, that would create a level of uh, accountability. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's not something that even the public or anybody has to be privy to, um, you know, whatever kind of counsel they've put in place to, to kind of manage these things, you know, it, it should be, you know, reported to them and, you know, they should, you know, vet it out. But, you know, there's got to be something um, put into place, um, you know, even subconsciously just, you know, so people can kind of, you know, see their biases, you know, maybe a little bit more um, clear, you know, the, the, the unconscious bias, you know, maybe that'll open up people's eyes that, you know, maybe, you know, maybe they don't see it. And, you know, this will create an opportunity opportunity uh, for them to see it. But, you know, where I met with it is obviously something has to change. And, and like I said, it starts at the very top. And, you know, like I said, man, we got to figure these bribes out. You know, I know what kind of liquor these guys like or something. You know? Let's figure something out. Yeah, we're not offering the right stuff. They talking about some draft picks. That ain't what they care about. <laughs> like you said we got to find the right motivation but again i'm, I'm going to reserve some of my stuff i'll kick it over to you chris what'd you think about when you heard this uh this story it was just plain old dumb like i i read it and i was like they're gonna they're dangling this carrot in front of you know owners and decision makers that you're gonna give them a comp pick if they have a minority <laughs> gm or head coach like that, that doesn't make any sense at all like you think they're going to hire someone for a damn third round pick. Like, that's not how this works. They're, they're not going to do that. And it's like, who would who would want that job? It's like, you guys hired me for a third round pick. Like, yep. That's 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 what I'm worth. Not just because of what I've done on my resume or how I carry myself, but a third round pick. That's what I'm worth. And I guess it, it's insulting to guys. And, and Kerry was alluding to him before Eric Bieniemy. And it's like, how much more does this damn guy have to do? Like MVP quarterback, Super Bowl, great offense. And we've seen guys who have had a cup of coffee with, uh, with the, the Rams coach, uh, Sean McVay, and they get hired. But this guy's resume is, you know, just phenomenal. And he can't get a job. And I, it's, it's just it's mind boggling. And. It's it's strange because it's 2020 and it just seems like it doesn't get better. It just gets a little bit worse. And I don't I don't I'm not sitting here saying I know what the answer is, because when all of the owners are old white men. Just, I mean, what can they really what can the NFL really do to make these guys you know, change their ways and and not want it to be, you know, the good old boys club and to, you know, step out and take a chance. And it, it really makes you proud to, to root for a team like the Ravens because when you look at what they did with Ozzy in 96 and then even having them on staff before that with the Browns, is they were ahead of their time. And they saw they saw someone who was, you know, up for the task of, you know, not just doing the job, but doing it at a very, very high level. And he and he's proved them right. 
and that was back, you know, 96. So it's like when you fast forward and you would think that in 2020 it would be different. But it, I mean, it's it's taking a step back, it seems like. Yeah, and that was in Jim Trotter's uh, article, that last part you said about taking a step back. He actually said in terms of uh, the number of, of minority GMs and head coaches, it's at a, it, it matches this, the low, the 17-year low. It's two GMs and four, head, and four head coaches. And, you know, you go back 17 years ago and, you know, that was considered progress, you know, at that point coming from where they were. And now here we are 17 years later and we're, we're at that same point. So, you know, that, like you said, I don't think any of us are sitting here saying that we got the answers, even though Carrie might've found the answer. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, people, people certainly understand the concept of incentivizing behavior, right? Certain kind of behavior that you want to see. I mean, people who have kids know that cold. We know exactly what, what that, what that's all about. You got to find the right motivation. Uh, or the, the right incentive. Um, so maybe there is something there. But yeah, I, I, I certainly like you, Chris, I don't I don't pretend to know the answer. Um, I always sort my mind always sort of goes to you've got to try to find the underlying causes, the root causes uh, of why this stuff's going on. Because like you said, to your point, who wants to be that person that was hired because the team got a better draft pick? When no matter what is said publicly about, well, no, we didn't do it because of that. We hired you because of X, Y, Z. That's always going to be the perception. You know, it's almost like the nepotism thing, you know, with with certain, you know, coaches and kids and stuff. It almost doesn't matter um, what you've done or, you know, how you've kind of built yourself to to earn the opportunity that you've been given. Some people are always going to just see, well, you got this job because of who your dad was. You know, what have you, you know, right. it's, just, it's just how that perception goes sometimes. But nobody wants to be uh, perceived that way, especially when they know that they've put in the work and that, you know, they've they've really uh, earned this opportunity. And I think Marvin Lewis was one of the, the former coaches who came out and said, yeah, that, that that's insulting. Right. All everything that I've done to try to work and, and, and earn an opportunity. And then I'm only given it because I can get the team a better draft pick. Right. Not not because of merit. Um, and so, you know, you've said it. He said it, a bunch of other coaches, and former coaches have said that that's an insult. And so, you know, trying to figure out what those underlying root causes are, um, why, like you said, a bunch of old white guys don't want to hire more minorities. That's the question you've got to try to answer. Right. Why don't they want to do that? Because I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think it was either Jim Trotter or maybe it was somebody else who looked at the records of um, the minority head coaches who've been in the league over that period, over that 17 year period. And, you know, number of games they won, playoff appearances, Super Bowl appearances, Super Bowl wins. And they were pretty darn good. <laughs> they were, I, I think they were better than average uh, when whoever did this, whoever put that out, kind of looked at their numbers and then just looked at non minority coaches and their, you know, the same numbers for them over that period of time. And, and it was above those numbers, it was above average. Um, so it's not because they don't win as much, right? You would, you would think, okay, if you're making that decision, if if you're basing your decision to hire a head coach or a general manager on their ability to build a winning team, and you look at those numbers and say, okay, these guys have done that at an above average rate. 
but I'm still choosing not to hire them or consider them um, for a position. It's not because of their track record. So then what is it? And then that that's what you've got to try to get to the heart of before I think you really can, you know, start to, to make some headway in this. Um, but those are uncomfortable discussions. And a lot of times it's going to expose some things that people don't want to expose. And it really forces people to take a hard look at themselves. And, you know, it's easier to just say, how about we give you a higher draft pick if you hire a black person? That's a much easier thing, a much easier conversation to have. As crazy as it sounds, it's still a much easier conversation to have to say it as opposed to saying, well, if you say you want to pick this person because you want them to build a winner and these guys have built winners, but yet you don't want to hire one of them. That's a much more difficult conversation to have. Tell me why. Right. Then tell me why. Um, what's, what's your reasoning? But I think that that's what you have to do. And um, these guys are wealthy. Uh, they are powerful. And quite frankly, they to your to your point, Carrie, you talked about Dominique Foxworth's uh, idea. They don't have to answer those questions right now. You know, they can just not not answer. It. They can just choose not to answer it and, and they move on and um, they can they can sort of check the box of some of the things that are in place right now with the Rooney rule and those kinds of things. And say, hey, we interviewed a couple of minority candidates. Get off my back. Right. I did what the rules require me to do. So I don't know. It's one of those things that, um, you know, it's a microcosm, right? This isn't just about the NFL. I mean, this is, this is the country at large, the world at large. Um, you know, we all know that these things happen and continue to happen until people are, are, are willing and, and ready to have those conversations, to look at the deeper underlying causes behind why they think what they think then you're kind of always going to be stuck um, in kind of the stagnation. You know, you're not ever going to really be able to make any progress because you got to put that stuff out there. It's going to be ugly and, it, you know, it's, it's going to get contentious. But I think you you got to go through that. you got to do the hard work of slogging through that to try to get to some real answers, some real truth behind what's going on. And I don't know how many people have the stomach for that. Yeah, it's... it's... Because, and like we said, you know, a lot of these guys are, are old, you know, like old, old men who are stuck in these old ways. So maybe it's going to take, uh, you know, these guys, you know, eventually dying off. And then we get new owners in there who maybe have different, you know, brought up differently than they were. I mean, maybe that's what it'll take. But. I mean, as of right now, it's just it doesn't seem like it'll it's going to change anytime soon. It doesn't. And even though I think we all pretty unanimously disagreed with this approach, I will say, um, you know, I'll I'll give this diversity committee. I think it's it's kind of where this proposal originated, the NFL Diversity Committee. Credit for for looking for ways to improve. I don't particularly agree with that way. Um but, you know, they're they're looking at ways to try to improve these things, to try to make it better. So, um, you know, I credit them for that. It's, e- it's easy when when something like this comes out to to beat up on it and kill it and say, oh, this is a ridiculous idea. Why, why, come on, come on. And I agree. And I think it was. Um, but I, I, if they, I even had to catch myself and say, OK, well, yeah, that's easy to say. But uh, w- what's your idea? Right. What do you have that's better than that? So, you know, at least they're 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 making an attempt 
to uh, to try to address this issue and, and deal with it because, uh, you know, I think you're just looking for something that's representative, right, of the league. You're not saying you got to have 32 minority coaches and 32 minority GMs, but I think the league is like 70 plus percent uh, black in terms of the players. Um, and so you're just looking for something that's representative um, of that, right? So uh, I don't know what that number is. I don't, I'm not trying to say you got to set any kind of quota or anything like that. I definitely don't think you do that. And you want to hire the person who you think is the best candidate, right? And, and is going gonna, is gonna to build you a winner and lead your team to winning games. But sometimes you've got to give somebody an opportunity who – you know, just looking at them, maybe you wouldn't necessarily think if I just if I didn't know anything else and I'm just looking at this person and I see their record and I didn't see them at all. I only saw their record. You know, would you hire that person? Right. What would what would change if all you saw was their record and their background and talk to former players and other coaches about them and nobody said anything about their race? You never saw anything. What what would change? Right. Would you make the decision to hire that person just based on that information? And then would you change that decision when you saw them? I mean, that, that, these are these are the things that I think you got to think about. I said you got to play love connection with them. <laughs> <laughs> you do. And then, look, I, I, I heard somebody else who said, look, man, this is this is something that is just always going to be the case. You know, people who are in the position to to hire in any industry are going to hire people who they feel comfortable with. And to me, you know, the person who was telling me this, that I, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but to me, that was like a code. I was like, we mean comfortable. <laughs> comfortable in what way? Like they like them? What, 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 what are we talking about? Because I'm like, if you're talking about that, then yeah, I agree with that. I think that happens all the time. I think people will say, hey, look, you know what? I got a bunch of different candidates here. This person might be like really super technically smart. This person might have all of this great experience. But when I met with them, I just didn't feel like they were going to be a good part of our team. You know, I just didn't feel like they were going to come in and fit in. But there was this other person, wasn't quite as smart, didn't quite have as great a background, but they just meshed really well. You know, I had some other people on the team in there. We were just interacting and the vibe was just good. Right. And people will make that decision. People will say, I will hire that person just based on that, because I can train them, you know, the technical skills. We can we can teach them that. But I need somebody who I feel like can fit in here and really mesh, you know, from a personality standpoint. So I get that. But that's not how I took it when he said it, when he was like, well, they're always going to hire who they're comfortable with. I took it some way. Maybe I shouldn't have, but I took it in a different, I took it in a different way. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, I guess it depends on how you take that. To, to some extent, I think I agree with him. Um, but it depends on, I guess, how you how you take comfortable, how you define that. Yeah, I agree with that, too, because, I mean, what you hear, because I keep going back to Eric Bianami because it's just, we've been talking about him for a year, us three, too, yeah. about how he has to get a job, because it was, it was perplexing that he didn't get a job last year. And, you know, at the end of the season, it's like, oh, yeah, it's a no-brainer. He's going to have a job. And then, look, here we are, and he's still the OC of the Chiefs. But... What you hear about him and his personality is he's a no-nonsense kind of guy. Yeah. And he's not a guy that's going to, you know, kowtow to, to, to a, an owner and just, you know, give him what he wants. And we know that they want puppets. They want guys, well, for the most part, they want guys that are going to do what they're told. And, you know, 
I mean, we all know how, you know, the, the stigma of the black male is of how, you know, you, they're not, you're not going to be able to control, you know, a black guy or something like that, or I'm not going to, I want the black guy to listen to what I'm telling him to do. I don't want him to tell me what I'm going to do. There's still some of those undertones there and people don't want to speak about it, but it's, it's there. Yeah, that's why I said having those conversations, it's not always going to be comfortable. And some of it's going to get beyond uncomfortable. Some of it's going to get nasty, right? Because there are going to be some things that come out that really expose some really deep feelings that people have, some deep-seated stuff that are in people's minds and in their hearts. But I don't think you can get past that. I don't think you can move move past these issues and make progress on them until you get that stuff out in the open, you know? you got to at least have the conversation. And I'm not saying you're going to find that in every situation. Sometimes it might go back to the personality thing. You might really drill down into some of that and really press somebody. And if they were if they were willing, you know, like an owner or whatever, a decision maker was 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 open and willing to uh, really be honest with you about why they didn't hire a minority or this or that. It might not come down to any of that at all. It might be, hey, look, the personality just didn't mesh. Right. We were talking about this and he felt this way about it. That's not really my philosophy. I don't really agree with that. That's not how I want to approach things. Cool. Right. You can respect that. When you hear that, then you're like, all right, I mean, it's your team. And if that's your philosophy and that's the way you want to approach things, that's up to you. Um, but when you don't hear it, is kind of what what Kerry was saying. The, the process, you know, there's no transparency in the process. And so because of that, you, you're left. You have to you're left with nothing but speculation. You have to speculate. OK, well, it didn't happen for this reason or it didn't happen for that reason. Or if you don't want to speculate. Um, you're just left asking questions. Well, 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 why? What happened? You know, was it this? Was it that? Either way, you don't know because the process isn't transparent. Um, and and uh, what, what, we're, what people are asking for, it's not to just give away jobs. It's just to have a, a fair shake at it. Because yeah. it doesn't seem like there's a fair shake. It just seems like when a job opens up, Oh, this guy's friends with this guy, so that's what's going to happen. Uh, and yeah, we're going to fulfill the Rooney rule, but wink, wink, this doesn't really mean anything. You know, it, it just it doesn't feel like it's a fair shake at all. No, and you can you can we keep using him. You can use Eric B. Entity, Eric B. Enemy, excuse me, uh, to to that point as well. You can say, you know, look, he's been the offensive coordinator of uh, one of the most explosive offenses in the league, with uh, arguably you know, the most explosive quarterback, uh, one of the most explosive young quarterbacks in the league prior to the Super Bowl, right? Now they've won a Super Bowl, so now that's on the resume too. And, you know, they won a bunch of games, they put up a bunch of points, they put up a bunch of yards, they won the ultimate game. And then you got to say, okay, that guy, is he getting a fair opportunity to get one of these jobs? I mean, he probably had interviews. I would assume he's had interviews. If he hasn't had interviews, there's no way you can make the case that he's getting a fair opportunity (laughs) if he hasn't had interviews, at least. But I I think I think he's probably had interviews. But again, I keep going back to the transparency in the process. If he's had those interviews and the decision was made not to hire him. okay, that's cool. I mean, that happens. Right. And hiring people make decisions all the time not to hire certain candidates. But, you know, people want to understand why that happened. And I. Look, for me, my my job, my day job is in the public sector and it uses public money. And so we have to be transparent in the hiring process. 
when somebody is hired, if another one of the candidates who apply for that job doesn't get selected and they feel like there was something unfair in that process, there's a whole avenue for them to go down um, to try to get some light shed on what happened in that process, right, for them and get a better understanding of why the person was chosen and what the decision was. Now, that's, that's not always the case in the private sector. Right? They don't necessarily have to play by those same rules, um, but maybe they should, or at least in certain situations, maybe they should. I don't know. Like I said, we don't know the answer to this stuff, but I think people would maybe be a little more comfortable with some of these outcomes if they understood why the decision was made, what the basis of the decision was. And really, it probably could just start with like one owner. One of them, you know, took that step out to say, hey, I'm going to explain why I selected this person over, you know, some of the other people who've been reported as candidates. Now, that's a slippery slope because there's a lot of there's a lot of, you know, thin ice stepping out on that and doing that in terms of how much information you release about other candidates. And, you know, there's a whole lot of other issues you got to juggle and be really careful with that. So it's not that easy, but. It's at least something to consider, right? It's just that, and I think that's what what everybody's trying to do at this point is we know there's a problem. We know things are not as representative as they should be. We know people aren't getting the the probably equal opportunity that they should be. How do we make that better? So, you know, what what did what did Trump say? I'm just here to offer ideas. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just here to provide ideas. You want to drink Lysol? Drink some Lysol. I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying you should drink Lysol. We're just here to provide ideas. Um, we're certainly not here to solve anything. <laughs> just trying to, to get something out there. But I knew that that would be uh, when when Carrie had that up on the on the rundown. I knew that that would be a really interesting discussion topic because it always is. Race always has been, always will be. Um, you know, a, an interesting discussion topic in whatever form it takes. You know, we're talking about hiring. You can talk about it in policing, whatever housing. Whatever avenue that comes up in is always an interesting discussion because uh, it's an emotional one, number one, and then there's just so many layers to it. There's so many things in it uh, that have, have been going on for so long um, that there's just a lot of different ways to, to go with it and to talk about it. But at least from my perspective, uh, I don't have anything else to say about it. Either one of you guys uh, want to add anything else on that topic. I'm good. I'm good. We got I got my I got it off my chest. I I would say one other thing, you know, just quickly. And I don't it's another thing like kind of Mike, how you said, you know, you don't want to pour too much cold water on, you know, people trying to bring ideas to the table to try to help things. And I I kind of I feel the same way as far as this. um, I think it's Green Bay. I think their coach. Um, started like a minority kind of coaching program um, that's, you know, supposed to bring more awareness and, you know, kind of, you know, bring guys into the fold and and try to train them and, you know, do some of those things. But to me, man, this isn't this isn't like a where's Waldo situation. Like we don't know where the black coaches (laughs) are. (laughs) We know where they are. (laughs) You know, it's clear, like we know, we know who the head coaching candidates are. We know the guys that are, are, um, you know, kind of separating themselves from the field on both sides of the ball, um, whether it's offense or on on defense. You know, it's clear. So while, you know, I can understand putting these programs in place and you know, 
trying to help. The the biggest help is just, you know, guys getting a fair shake. Um, you know, that's that's bigger than any kind of, you know, program like that, 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 you know, that can be put into place because, you know, guys are well aware of, you know, the the guys, um, you know, the coaches in the league that are, you know, making a difference for their teams. You make a good point, man, um, about, you know, this isn't a, a case of we don't know where these candidates are because uh, they do know where they are. And even if they didn't know, let's let's just, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just throw that out there and say, OK, let's say I'm somebody who, who doesn't know. Number one, you hear all the time about these people hiring these search firms to go out and find candidates right for them to interview. So if you wanted to find out that you could. Uh, but I believe uh, and I think I saw Steve Weich talk about Steve Weich talk about this before. I believe there's a program in the NFL that will specifically provide minority candidates to you. Um, and, and, it, and it might be under the, the, the Rooney Rule program. It might be under some other program. But uh, I'm pretty sure I've heard him talk about, like, look, that, there's certainly no excuse for that. If, if these people, if these coaches, if these, you know, if it's the GM making a decision for the team to hire the coach, whatever, whoever it is, the owners, if they want these candidates, we can provide them with a list of candidates to interview. So you're right. Um, this this It shouldn't be framed that way. It shouldn't be. Oh well, we don't know who who the candidates are. We can't find good candidates because that that I, I agree with you, Kerry. I don't think that's the case. Now, if you know who the candidates are, and then you're like, well, we know who they are. The teams can find out who they are, but we're still not seeing the kind of outcomes that we you know would expect in terms of representation. Like I said, it's not going to be a one for one. You're not going to get all 32, you know, on all 32 teams. But you want to see something represented. And if you say, well, we're still not seeing that, even though they know who these people are and they're interviewing these people and it's still not happening. So then I think that's where the ideas are, you know, like I said, as crazy as some of them might be, some of the ideas are probably coming in like, okay, now we know they know who these people are and they're interviewing these people, but they're still not selecting them. And so what do we do, you know, to try to close that, that final gap of, you know, actually making these hires, not just interviewing them just for like token reasons so you can check it off the box, but actually selecting the person um i don't know it's crazy i know i told you guys a story a story about mike loxley um when he was still the oc at alabama and he was coaching in the championship game yeah and after that game i think you know he he had developed some interest in coaching in the nfl and so he reached out to some people in the nfl and was told you need to intern you need to come into the nfl as an intern this is a guy who was the current offensive coordinator at the current national college national champion uh, had worked with quarterbacks in some form or another for 10 years and had been a head coach too at another program before becoming the OC at, at, at Alabama. And now you're going to take a guy with that track record and say, you need to be an intern, right? To even, to even get your foot in the door. And to his credit, he did it. <laughs> he actually did it. Came into the intern program and intern, I forget which team it was. Uh, it was either Vikings or the Lions. I'm not sure which team it was, but he actually did it. You know, he humbled himself and he said, "Okay, I'll do that." Right? And and still couldn't get, you know, after the internship, still couldn't couldn't get interviews. I think I think for him it wasn't about you know being interviewed and not being selected. I think he, he couldn't even get interviews at that point. Um, and so you know he he you know refocused on on the college level, and not now obviously he's a head coach in Maryland. But yeah, I heard that story and I'm like, damn, you know that's. <laughs> So this guy has a track record in college 
And we've seen other guys. Okay, and when you do this, it's bad or it comes across bad because it sounds like you're putting the other person down. I'm not doing that, but I'm just asking the question. What did Cliff Kingsbury do? Did did he have to intern? Do you have to come in the NFL and intern before he got a head coaching job? No, he looked cool on the sideline. He looks cool in that house. I will say that. That house that, is sweet. That, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I mean, when you look at him, and look, obviously he had worked with several quarterbacks. Obviously he worked with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, he worked with Baker Mayfield. I mean, he, he'd worked with a bunch of guys and, and had some prolific offenses. I don't know that they won a ton of games at Texas Tech, but had some, some prolific offenses. But uh, So, obviously, he had the, the – the background of working with quarterbacks and had been and had been at head coach, but um, the international championship game I, mm. that I know of. Um, so I don't know. To me, when I heard that and I thought about Kings, uh, Kingsbury and, and sort of how his NFL opportunity materialized, and then thinking about Loxley and what he had to do. And look, I'm at. I've heard stories about Loxley from just like a personality standpoint. So some of that stuff's out there too. So I'm not here to pretend like I understand the whole picture of who Mike Loxley is. It's, it's certainly more complicated um, than probably what I'm aware of. But just if you isolate those things in a vacuum and just look at background and one guy is told you have to be an intern first to even get considered for an opportunity in the NFL, whereas the other guy. Yeah, K- Kingsbury was going to be the, the OC of uh, USC, wasn't he? I think so. Yeah, I think that yeah, was the opportunity he was going to take. So, I don't know, man. Um, there's, I mean, there, there's probably, you know, we could do multiple podcasts about those <laughs> kinds of stories of people who otherwise look like qualified people uh, being told that they had to do some things that other people didn't have to do. We could probably do that on and on and on, and I'm not trying to, um, you know, be super negative with it. But, I mean, these are realities. You know, these things happen. And then, like I said, you just have to be willing to cut to the heart of it and ask yourself, well, why did this happen? You know, can can somebody explain why it happened? And if you if somebody's willing to say, well, look, Loxley's an asshole. That's the problem. You meet him. He's, you know, he's arrogant. He doesn't want to listen. He's contentious. You know, he's, he's not good with people. I don't know if any of those things are true. They could all be complete lies. But I'm just saying, as an example, if somebody was willing to at least open up and say, hey, here's here's why that didn't happen for him, right. then, you know, you, you still are taking one person's word, one person's word for it. So you got to you got to investigate that. But at, at, if nothing else, you're getting more of an understanding of maybe why something happened. I and mean, you can decide for yourself whether you agree with it or not. But at least you're getting more of an understanding of why it happened as opposed to. Hey, he did the things that people said he needed to do, and then nothing ever materialized. Yeah, you don't understand that. You know, it's hard to it's hard to just take that and, and walk away with that and, and feel like you got a good explanation uh, with that. But I think we've we've chopped that one up about as many different ways as we we can. Um, Carrie, I'll, I'll go to you first, just for your any closing thoughts on the show. I know it's kind of a heavy topic to close on, but. Uh, hey, you know, like we've said on this show, you know, it's not always going to be uh, rainbows and butterflies, you know. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, I, to me, just keep the conversation, you know, open and, you know, keep dialogue open. Um, you know, that's how I close it with anything. Um, you know, 
with uh, listeners. If you, you know, hear something you want us to expand on more or, you know, anything, just, you know, keep that dialogue open, let us know. And, you know, we wholeheartedly appreciate the listens, um, you know, our kind of listening, um, listening base is, is growing by the day. And, you know, we see that and we definitely appreciate it. So, you know, just keep that going. Keep, um, you know, keep that energy um, up going. And like I said, you, if you want to hear us touch on something, you know, let us know. And, you know, we'll definitely do our best to, you know, work each and everything in, into the show. Hey, Chris, what about you, man? Any final thoughts? Um. Yeah, everybody just, you know, we appreciate you listening, you know, uh, taking the time out and then, you know, just hitting us up online on Twitter and just letting us know whether you like the show or if there are any things that we can improve. We we just we appreciate everybody that listens and and everyone that's that's really a part of this community, because it, that's that's really what it is. It's, you know, you, you get to learn these guys everybody's personality online is it's really strange because you'll see somebody tweet something out and you're like yeah that's just that guy you know that's how he is <laughs> and so it's it's fun being a part of this little little weird community we have so i i thank everybody from this strange little twitter community for supporting us and and continuing to do so absolutely i echo both of your guys thoughts um I want to thank everybody for that, too, because, um, you know, it, it may seem like something sometimes that, that, that could be taken for granted that people are listening or downloading or, or even giving us some feedback. Um, but, you know, everybody's time is valuable, man. And you could be doing something else with your time. But, you know, for the people that are listening or, or providing any kind of interaction with the show, you're taking some of your time to do that. And, you know, I appreciate that. So, um I'll just also echo what Carrie said. Just keep keep the conversation going, man. Keep the dialogue going. I mean, some of these some of these things, you know, with football, we we try to have fun with it. We try to talk about, um, you know, things that are fun and entertaining. But you know, it, it it's also a part of of life and the bigger world. And you know, some of these issues are always going to be fun and aren't always going to be entertaining. But it doesn't mean that they shouldn't be discussed. And so you know, we just try to keep that going. And when you do it. You know, just try to do it in a respectful way. Um, you know, it's easy to get emotional with some of this stuff and, you know, maybe get into some 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 things that um, some comments that maybe you, you regretted or some things that you wish you had said differently. But, um, you know, you can just try to kind of tamp the emotion down a little bit. You know what I mean? I know it's hard sometimes, but just try to tamp it down a little bit. And uh, I always take something that Dan Hatman from Scouting Academy told me. I, I, I haven't done it in a couple of years now, but. Uh, he, he said this to me multiple times and I always take it with me. He tries to approach every interaction with somebody, whether it's online, social media or in person, whatever, on the phone. He tries to always approach those interactions, assuming that he can learn more from that other person than they can learn from him. Mm. So, you know, for me, I always try to keep that in my mind. Don't come into it thinking that you got something that you're going to drop on this person. You know, try to try to approach it from, man, you know, I, I think I'm going to learn something here from that person. So. Um, it's a good operating uh, approach, I think, to life in general, and I, I always got to give Dan credit for that. So that's all I got. Uh, I guess we're going to wrap it right here. We'll be back at, at you guys um, soon with uh, another show and uh, another set of topics. And, 
you just never know with the NFL, man, right? News pops at various times and what can seem like a slow period or kind of a down period. Something can pop. And next thing you know, uh, you got a bunch of stuff to talk about. So we'll see how it goes. But either way, uh, we're going to be back. So as always, thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Sit on them, head on them, then I will sit on them. Open up your mouth if they want the food. They get food. Flip toes, cause I'm in the mood. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, man, that's how it goes. Body get a cup, blood coming out the nose. Give me your band-aid. What are you asking for? More? Holy and sacred and pure. Adverse, exact. Check it in the bus, the new rap, rap. Buster rhymes, or busters written rhymes. Here y'all in 92. I'm packing my round spray. Anyway, take a lick. Drive for a quest. Leaders of the new school. Mad turtle and still thick. Then my dragon, baby, stop whining I see my influence still shattered More crazy than that, too Uh-oh, time to go, yo That's the scenario <laughs>